Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. The date is August 2nd. This is episode 79, and this is going to be the first ever time we do a next episode. It's going to be the next top five sci-fi films of the 1970s, which is quite a mouthful. Um, so, like I said, we've never done this before, where we've, Frank's done a list, it was the top five sci-fi films in the 1970s, uh, that was episode 44 uh, of the series, and uh, on that list was, I don't remember the order, but it was Stalker, Clockwork Orange, Time After Time, Silent Running, and The Black Hole. Um, so now Frank is going to go ahead and give us his next top five, uh, movies kind of round out of like a top 10. So specifically the thing I want to ask you, Frank is, uh, I know that you suggested, we, we talked about the next concept for a long time, um, uh, pretty early on, but we never actually did it. Why did you want to do sci-fi, um, of the seventies, like for the next episode? Um, just because there was a number of movies that I really liked that were left off that first list. Um, I mean, it's always, always sort of difficult for me to make lists. Like it's pretty rare when like I can usually spit one out pretty quick, but then I always second guess like choices on it. And we've even had a number of instances where I've like texted you like a week later and been like, Hey, like we need to take this one off and put this on. Um, and I like, as much as I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi in general, like I really love 70s sci-fi. Because I think it's more, um, I don't know, like it's less about the fixation on the science of whatever, like the science fiction portion and more of a fixation on like the metaphysical examination of like man's place in the universe or, you know, whatever about like technology or I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting concepts in, in this. And I think that most of these movies have that, even though I think one of them is a little long-winded, I guess, but um, I think it's still a pretty interesting examination of, like, man dealing with, like, a crisis. Now, are these things, I remember the first list, some of those things were things that you saw growing up, you would see on television, or your dad watched them, I think you said, like, so are some of these things also kind of, like, do they fall in the same category, you think, some of them? So I had seen all of these movies with the exception of the number two movie before the age of 14, I guess. Um, and then the number two movie I saw, like when I was like 15 or 16 years old. Um, so they were all movies that I liked when I was a kid. Um, some more than others. Also, um, one of them is based on a book that I read when I was a kid. And so that made me like it a little more like, that's why I watched the movie and why it's included on this list. Um, oddly in like the nostalgia pick, uh spot Hmm. um because it really is like a big nostalgia pick for me um and we'll talk about that when we talk about it and there's still a few movies that you know didn't make this list that i think you could do like a next next top five and i could still like (laughs) find five movies sure there's a couple that like there's a couple that don't quite live up to um like say like logan's run or uh um I don't know, Uh, like Solaris, I guess, is in the 70s, um, that I just don't quite like as much. And then there's stuff like um, Devil's Reign and like, um, shit, what's that one called? No Blade of Grass, I think, um, that I'm like, I've always like reserved for what I consider to be other lists, like that I think about, and I don't want to like, you know, 
shoot my load on the dry runs, so to speak. Right. <clears throat> okay. Um, so the, since this is the next top five, I don't really see where there's, you know, you just mentioned a few movies, so I don't really see where there's like much to go into in terms of what didn't make the list or what right. still could. So um, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Um, the number five film on your list is The Andromeda Strain from 1971. It's directed by Robert Wise. Stars, stars author, author Hill, David Wayne, James Olsen, and Kate Reed. See, I don't put commas in between the names to save room, so they all fit on one line. And seeing all those like names run together, I got real confused real quick. Right. Um, <clears throat> It has a 66% from critics, a 72% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So you want to tell us a little bit about this and why it's here? I'm actually kind of surprised the audience score is as high as it is. Like, I would have thought those scores would have been reversed. Yeah, and even a little Um, lower for the audience. Yeah. So it's a – this is the movie in the list that's much more the science than the fiction. Um, Team of – uh, scientists, well, not a team, like a duo of scientists is sent to examine um, this town where a satellite has crashed. Um, they find that everyone in the town is dead um, and they also die. Um, so a specialist team is assembled um, from different, whatever, like um, disciplines, like the experts in their fields, to go and examine this town. And they find that it's an alien microbe that's killed everyone in the town and turned their blood to dust with the exception of a crazy old man and an infant. Um, so they go to this underground bunker, this super secret bunker, um, where they can examine this microbe and, you know, try to figure out like what it is and why it's causing this to happen and like why these two people lived. And that's pretty much the movie. Um, you know, the microbe mutates. And so in the end, it like <clears throat> has turned like pretty much harmless. Um, so I guess it's kind of a happy ending. Um, based on a Michael Crichton book from, I guess, the late 60s is when he wrote it. Right. Uh, this movie is, what, 71, you said, right? 71, yeah. Um, the thing I like about this movie the most is, the n- number one, this movie's super long. Like, it's two hours and 20 minutes, I think. Um, but there's so much, like, love and care invested in the minutia of things in the movie. Um, including like a super long scene, and I don't know what, the scene like where they're de- getting decontaminated mm-hmm. and like like vaccinated is like probably 20, 20 plus minutes of the movie. Um, and really, like on one hand, feels unnecessary because like when you just say that that had happened, and like suspension of disbelief, like yeah, like I get it, like they're decontaminated, but like the lengths that Crichton goes to, you know, Crichton was a um, a doctor like he was an md and just never practiced he just wrote um so he was super interested i guess in like the science of it um the lengths that like they go to to like you know diligently follow that book and um just make sure that like all of those things are cataloged and shown um and i think like the the, the characters in it are good like i like the um the gruff lady scientists and i like the kind of charming like um, smirking like doctor that they bring in and like all the interplay between those characters is really good. Um, and even though like, I don't 
find it to necessarily ever be like super dense. Like there is like a level of tension, sure. especially in the first half hour of the movie when they're investigating the town and like you don't know, um, you know, like what what's going to happen or whatever. Like there's they they film that like ghost town um, part really well, um, and I I like like some of my favorite movies you know in the genre of, you know like the blob and the thing. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like, I like that idea of, like, um, Color Out of Space is another good example of, like, this thing from, like, another world that's, like, unknowable to us but has the ability to, like, decimate humanity. And it's just a cool idea. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I don't have, like, a lot to say about the movie. Like, I I thought it went on for too long, obviously. Um, It's about a half hour longer than it needs to be. Yeah, and again, and, there's like I I hate to say it because I know that it's like it's the movie basically, but it is that like just adherence to that minutia of like everything that's happening scientifically in the movie that like if they would just would have cut it out, like it would have been fine. Yeah, it's I mean it's part of what gives us this charm, but it's part of what's exhausting. Um, is is that level the, that attention to detail? I think um, throughout the whole thing, and I think there's a few different sequences that are pretty suspenseful. Some take place later in the movie, and I think you're so just kind of like tired by that point that it, it doesn't have as much effect. But right, like when the unmarried doctor is given, um, like he has to basically disable the nuclear bomb or whatever, and it's um... <laughs> right. What is uh, what's that thing called? Like, what do they call it? The um, ah, shit. I was just thinking about this because I looked it up because it's apparently not a real thing. Yes. But right. it is a real thing, but it's like not what they called it. It's it's like a pretend I don't know. Right. Anyway, like it was this fuck. It's not like the Achilles effect, is it, or something mm-hmm. like that? Or the Achilles principle? No. I can't remember what it is now. But it's something like that. Right. Yeah. Based on like the fact that like someone who's not married can no make kids, a right. Yeah. Um Make a more clinical and um, measured, dis- yeah, like dispassionate, like you know, yeah. right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> but it's well filmed. It's well acted. Yeah, um, I agree. It's got good special effects for the time. Um, you know, like the. It's always kind of, and we'll we'll talk about this at least three other times in this movie. Always kind of um, disconcerting, not disconcerting, like. It sort of like hurts your suspension of disbelief when you're watching a movie that was made in the past that's supposed to be set in the future and it's like there's like teletype or you know like um laser printers or whatever or um like typing up long long strings of digits and it's like come on like I mean I know that they right. can the future, but it's just you're thinking like, man, here's technology that we haven't used in thirty years and this right. is like in the art to these people. Yeah, um, I thought. Sometimes I thought it was... I find that charming. Sometimes I find it like in Andromeda Strain. I find their technology pretty charming, especially because it is set like in the time, like it was set right you know, in like contemporaneously to when they filmed it. But sometimes, like you know, like an Alien, I find it to be charming, and then in other movies, I'm just like, oh. yeah, that looks awful. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting to watch this movie. Um you know, during COVID, um, you know, to, well, that's the depressing thing about it is like, here's a movie about the calm measured professional and scientific response the government takes to, you know, what could possibly be like a deadly plague 
and then we're living in this, I don't know, like Roger Corman B-movie in the real world where the mad dictator is like making all the wrong decisions based on his own greed and it's like, it just never ends. Perfect, so- perfect segue into the criticism. Our good friend Dave Kerr actually says that this pulp tale cries out for a slapdash vigor, the slapdash vigor of Roger Corman. Um, and, uh, Stefan Kafar of the New York times or no, sorry, of time, uh, magazine. He says that, um, and I think in a similar vein is that it, it, this only employs the conventional weaponry of a, a grade B thriller. Um, and it, um, it felt like it just needed something more, even though he called it very modest entertainment. Um, he said that uh, it just felt like it needed something more, and Kerr is the one that like says that it actually could have used some of those maybe Roger Corman elements to it. I mean, I agree with that. I I think if you had more of like a like a pulp sensibility, I think it would be a much more entertaining movie. Because um, it's definitely like it, it looks really nice. The set design is fantastic. You know, again, like I think the performances are all really good. It's just you know, yeah, it, it could use that little element of like. I don't know, Saturday matinee, like, adventure to it or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But it still is an enjoyable movie, I think. Yeah, it's, no. it is. Yeah. All right. So number four on your list is from 1973. Uh, it is directed by Michael Crichton. The movie is Westworld. And it stars Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin, James Brolin. It has an 87% from critics and a 70% from audiences. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about this and why you have it on the list? Um, so Westworld is one of my like early childhood favorite science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like that video box was always, I don't know, so appealing to me. Like when I wasn't allowed to rent those kind of movies, um, like R-rated, you know, whatever scary movies. But like the image on the video cover of Brenner dressed like a cowboy with like his face slid to the side. Um People might be more familiar with Westworld from the HBO series, I guess, like the ongoing series. Right. Um, But the basic premise is that um, in the future, um, there's an amusement park for adults. Um, It's a medieval-themed section of the park, a Western-themed section of the park, and a Roman-themed section of the park, um, populated by human-like androids um, who are so realistic that you can't really tell them apart from humans. Um, where you can pay money and go and, like, live out fantasies in these, whatever, like, these three, like, romantic settings, basically. Um, Where, you you know, you can be a gunslinger and shoot down um, bad guys, or you can be, like, a knight and, like, have a sword fight with, like, you know, the Black Knight and kill him. Um, So these two dudes, uh, one of whom is recently divorced, um, Roland and uh, whatever the other lead actor's name is, um, go to the western town and they have a good time. Um, but then something happens where the robots, the androids like mutate in some way um, internally, where they turn on their masters and they no longer take commands and they gain a sense of, um, I don't know, like agency of their own. Um, and then they start murdering all the inhabitants or all the visitors, all the guests. Um, and it's up to the one um, mustachioed. Uh, lawyer divorcee to beat Yul Brenner and save the day. Um, really cool concept. Like the idea 
was always really appealing to me of the um that idea of like this like almost like perfect fantasy world where you could go and like get like role play basically and then still like leave and go back to the real world with like no consequence um is a cool idea uh the special effects are fantastic especially the android special effects um you know when they're like repairing them they have like their body parts open like it's a really really well done and like um pretty convincing prosthetics i think that make it look like you know people are having like their faces removed um yul brenner especially wearing like those silver contacts um to make him look like he's got like metallic eyes uh point of interest is that this is the first movie to use um computer generated effects in the pixelization um effect like when they're showing it through the android's eyes like as the you know like what they're seeing um when when brenner's stalking uh what's his name across the desert um so Crichton pretty innovative in that respect i didn't know that Crichton had directed anything like as many times as i've seen this movie and i've probably seen this movie like six or seven times never paid attention to the fact that it was michael Crichton that actually directed it um so i thought that was pretty cool um his filmography is not that great but i like westworld um i think it's got pretty interesting characters i think they're pretty well fleshed out i think that's actually my only complaint is that it just takes a really long time to get to the action of this movie um like it's a 90 minute long movie and 45 minutes are spent with like basically nothing happening like at least not from like the perspective of like the robots like turning on the humans or anything it's mostly i don't know like a silly like b-grade western or C-grade Western as opposed to a sci-fi horror movie, which is what it eventually becomes. But So one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid, and I really like it a lot still. Yeah, I think the only elements that, like, I don't know why, it's probably my medieval shit, but, like, I I really liked all the stuff with, like, the Wild West aspect of it. When it gets into, like, the <laughs> nights and stuff like that, like, I don't know, it's just my immediate, my interest immediately like, wandered. Like, I... See, I, I, I love those parts because it looks exactly like um, like the Errol Flynn um, mm. sword, sword and swashbuckling stuff. Um, like, everything is, like, exactly, like, the set design, the layout. It actually, like, looks a lot like um, the set from uh, the Rob, his Robin Hood movie. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I, I enjoyed that stuff. Again, I just feel like if you maybe like cut 15 minutes off of like that's the beginning portion and added 15 more minutes of like robots like going nuts that it would have been a better movie um but i still really enjoy it like i don't really think that's criticism just something i noticed this time watching yeah um in terms of criticism and honestly there's not there wasn't a lot out there um it, it seemed like if there was a consensus in terms of the criticism um it was just that the execution of the material, people liked the idea, but they thought the execution was a little dull or, um, or it was somebody called it low energy. Um, and that was kind of like the, the, the main criticism of it. it yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with that somewhat. Like, I think that, um, you get a, an actual director to direct this movie. Um, and maybe have Creighton as like a consultant, you know what I mean? Or like an executive producer. Yeah. You probably would have gotten a better movie out of it. And I know Crichton didn't want to direct this. Um, he he tried to actually avoid it. Um, and this circumstance kind of like 
the studio just kind of put him up to direct it because he'd only directed like a TV movie or something by this point and didn't feel he was ready or I think yeah. when he directed this. So I can have a little bit of um yeah. sympathy there, I guess. Right. right. Um no, I don't think it's bad. Poorly directed. It's, it's not, just that no, it's just no, no, not, no. It's, right. it's it's completely competent. Right. It's just when you're a writer directing your own material, I imagine there's a less of a need to like edit yourself or you don't feel like you need to cut certain things. And again, like much in the way that Andromeda strain, it's interesting. Like I, when I made the order, I didn't even think about putting those movies back to back, but it's, it's an interesting like juxtaposition in the sense that like as precious as Andromeda strain is to its source material, you know, Crichton wants to talk to you about like why the robots are the way the early androids are the way they are the whole thing at the beginning that's like the travel brochure, like the video travel brochure for Westworld. I mean, it's all really well done, but I think that he's more in love with the science and the idea behind it rather than like filming the action of it. But like, I think there's a charm to the stuff in the Western, you know, with the two friends, like getting in the bar fights and visiting the brothel yeah. and mm-hmm. doing the um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, like escape into the desert thing. And Right. And it still holds up. Like, it's still fun to watch. I I agree. Yeah. Point of note that do not watch Future World, necessarily. Hmm. Um, While it's not, like, a bad movie, it's not nearly as good as Westworld. I honestly didn't even know Future World was a sequel for a long time. Um, Even though I should have known, because it takes place in the same thing, and it's the same corporation, but they're so different. And there's nothing really that connects the two of them, aside from, like, the concept of it. Like, I always just thought it was sort of a ripoff of it when I was young. I've only seen Future World once, and I like vaguely remember it. But have you seen any of the television show? No, uh, no, I haven't either. No, just I was for- just um, Frankie and I were talking tonight that maybe we should start watching it, um, just to see. Like yeah. I've heard that the first couple of seasons are really good, and then there's like a decline. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, I heard the first season is amazing. The second season, you can start seeing it crumble, and then the third season is really not good. Um, yeah. Do you know Crichton was a climate denier? Like climate change like denier? No. I, I didn't either. That's weird. Yeah. He's been dead for like... 12 years? 10, ten years. 12 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. But My dad was a scientist his whole life and he's a climate change denier too, so I don't know what to tell you. Maybe it's just that generation. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I I didn't I, I hadn't seen this. And I I don't know if I know if I ever saw the whole thing Westworld. Um, before this, I, I I know I'd seen pieces of it here and there on like Cinemax and shit like that when I was young. But yeah, um, no, I thought I it was much more engaging than I thought I would believe it. What I thought I would think about it, like I I was much more engaged. I thought it was pretty good overall. Yeah, that Richard Benjamin guy was um played uh major danby and um i knew i recognized him from somewhere he was in uh catch 22 <clears throat> okay so all right so number three on your list is 1973 soiling green it is directed by richard fleischer it stars charlton heston lee taylor young Con- chuck connors joseph codden and edward g robinson it has a 71 percent from critics and a 70% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this and 
What you like about it so much? Um, so set in a dystopian 2022, um, Soylent Green follows um, the Charlton Heston character who's a police officer living in this super overcrowded uh, New York of the future um, where food, basically like the environment has been destroyed. Um, so food is in short supply and people subsist on this stuff called Soylent. Um, there's a couple different colors of Soylent, but um, soy is like a portmanteau of soy and soy and lentil, um, which is what everything's made of, basically like beans and whatever. Um, except that there's this new Soylent, which is Soylent Green, which is supposedly made of um, plankton, harvested from the oceans or whatever. Or not plankton, plankton, something harvested from the oceans. So it's got protein, and Soylent Green is super popular, and it's always running out, so there's these riots. Um, so Charlton Heston investigates the murder of this um, prominent businessman who was a chair, like, on the board of uh, the Soylent Green Corporation and his close friends with uh, the governor of New York. Um, uncovers this web of um, conspiracy, basically, that, you know, he was murdered because he basically found out a secret that he couldn't like live with about Soylent Green. Um, Charlton Heston's kind of an asshole in this movie. It's sort of like the, like the Nick Nolte and um, 48 hours principle, although like he's less of a racist and misogynist, but like still just kind of a dick. Um, eventually he goes to the place where Soylent Green is made and finds out that it's corpses that are, being turned into this um this stuff so that you know people are being fed people and that's the famous scene like um he's injured when he's investigating it and as he's being carted out he's screaming you know the soil and green is people thing which is like one of the right in my opinion like from our childhood like the big memes right um from like uh, 70 sci-fi um it's an interesting look at the future um it's one of those movies where it does kind of suffer from the fact that things that were futuristic to it and not even futuristic like stuff like asteroids what what is this movie 75 is that right 73 so like 73 mm -hmm. so like the earliest video games like that's their representation and like some like I, I don't know i just don't see a reason of putting it in because it obviously is like was dated within like a couple years even of this movie coming out um but it's a pretty cool look at like this dirty future where climate change is a real thing and, you know, the world is pretty decimated and population is out of control and, you know, people don't even have, like, they can't even live in houses unless they're rich. Like, people are living in cars and, you know, the government treats, like, the common folk like animals, basically, and is disposable. Um, pretty normal performance from Charlton Heston in the sense that he's just kind of wooden in it. Yes. Um, I mean, he's kind of plays the same character in almost every single movie. Um, I mean, some interesting, like, there's... Edward G. Robinson's probably the best performance in the whole movie. Agreed. Um, and is in, like, what I think is probably the best scene in the movie, which is when he's um, offering himself up to be euthanized um, because he can't stand to live uh, in this world anymore. Um, I I love the concept the the idea that Edward G. Robinson is called a book, yeah. And I, I I there's a lot of concept like that in this that I really like a lot, like the book, the idea of furniture, 
um of people being you know being called furniture like that there, there's so many like little things in this that are so dystopian um that i really enjoy that aspect of it um a lot but yeah edward g robinson's like to me like the best part of this movie yeah i like um i like the woman that plays the furniture that uh charlton Heston falls in love with yeah um she's a she she does a good job and yeah like you said like i the the concepts of it are really good and mm-hmm. i think for when you look at like the dystopian movies um it's one of the better ones yeah um really it's it's just it's charlton heston that kind of it, it is from being like great and it's weird to say that because like you think about charlton heston and that's one of the most like lauded actors of the 20th century um especially in some of like the most important movies you know and ten commandments and ben-hur and I'll Sid and like all these movies that he made that are, you know, classics. Um, but man, like that dude is just, he's just Charlton Heston all the time. Like Charlton Heston in Soylent Green is the same as Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes and pretty much the same dude playing Moses, you know, like it's, it's all Charlton Heston. It, it is. I, I'm just not a fan of the dude. I, I just am not. Like I, what, what was it that we watched? Uh, oh, Omega Man. Omega Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I haven't seen Charlton Heston in so long, and like watching him, it's like, yeah, he's just. I don't even know how to describe it. It's there's such like this just weird masculinity he's always trying to exude sure. that I think brings his performance down. When I, he's probably a more capable actor than what he portrays because he's always trying to be so kind of tough and macho. Um, it's like, you you know, there has to be some vulnerability there somewhere. Um, he's, he's a really good dude. I mean, like, you know, like all the work yeah, he did, like in terms of like, just like charities and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, like, conservation. I mean, and, right. Yeah. He did a lot. So I think what it is, is I think that he's given roles where he doesn't need to emote, you know what I mean? Like, um, Thorne, his character in Soylent Green, is a tough, you know, like this man's man of a cop that, like, takes what he wants. And, you know, I think the character development of of that character is, like, him becoming selfless because, like, he's trying to uncover this conspiracy. Whereas, like, you know, you can see him, like, going and, like, stealing the food from the apartment and having sex with um, the furniture, and that sounds really weird to say that, but, you know, like, with the, yeah. like, lady that lives in the apartment. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and Charles Nesson goes, like, yeah, let me see your sofa. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I think that that's just the way the character's written. Is he needs to be, like, this tough as nails, like, don't show emotion. Although he does show some emotion, and that's why I think it's the best scene in the movie. Um, when he's there uh, seeing Saul off, like, in the euthanization chamber, like, he's, you know, he doesn't want his friend to die. Like, he's there, and he's trying to honor him, but, you know, there is some, like, emotion and some vulnerability there, but then it goes away immediately, you know, because they have to move into the end of the movie, so... But, I mean, I think there's some really um, interesting concepts in Soylent Green. Um, again, I think it's I think it's a very prescient movie, especially in the current climate we live in. Um, I mean, both figuratively and literally. Um, 
of the way that the world is and the fact that there are countries where people don't have enough food to eat and countries where people are treated like, you know, cattle basically or livestock. Um, and just some of the best map work, <clears throat> like map painting work in any of these movies too in this movie. <clears throat> like in the scene where the um, the kid is breaking into the apartment to murder um, the board member in the opening like mm-hmm. 20 minutes of the movie like that matte painting of the city like stretching out behind him is fantastic and yeah. there's yeah. like some other stuff both in um well honestly in, in the first in the number one and number two movie that are just kind of goofy that I was really um impressed with how nice it looked so yeah but yeah this is another movie that I saw when I was maybe like eight or nine and I loved it um still find it really enjoyable um i think it's really uh like daring and unique take on whatever like the idea of dystopia i think it holds up pretty well so two things real quick one do you think is can you think of many movies like around this time or before this time in terms of sci-fi that used the police procedural like this police procedural yeah like this like the kind of detective elements of this of the story because like I, I always I always right because I always think of like Blade Runner when I think of like the idea of compo- combining police procedural with sci-fi and it's like I'm trying to think of other things and I can't really think of much before this. I can't think of anything that. Yeah. Like, I mean, follows it like that because I mean, it it basically is like has a lot of noir elements to it in that respect. Right. You know, especially of him, like, you know, the repeat visits to people to question them and the femme fatale aspect of the furniture and the idea of, like, the the higher-ups in government and business are behind this shadowy conspiracy and they're willing to murder their own to to cover it up. I mean, there's some really cool concepts in it. Yeah. Uh, second, I want to take back, like, the, the good guy thing that I said about um, Charlton Heston's personal life, because I think I was more familiar with him earlier in his life when he was doing stuff, not so much familiar with the second half of his life where he, um, I don't know, lost his mind and became a neocon. Um, so, and not just, 90, just not like just like a normal neocon, but like a fucking crazy neocon like so um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna withdraw that he did good things in his life i'll say that <laughs> I, think, I think charlton heston is on a commercial for like buying gold or something like that if i'm not mistaken mm. like an old commercial oh whatever just pretend yeah. like he's wilford brimley i guess right trying to carry your diabetes uh, okay so <clears throat> A.H. Uh, Weiler of the New York Times says that, unfortunately, the script direction the principles involved in this struggle for survival often are as synthetic as Soylent Green itself. There is, of course, every reason to view the next century with some fear, but Soylent Green projects essentially simple, muscular melodrama a good deal more effectively than does its potential of man's seemingly witless destruction of Earth's resources. It must be noted that Fletcher's direction stresses action, not nuances of meaning or characterization. Mr. Robinson is pitiably natural as the realistic, sensitive oldster 
facing the futility of living in in dying surroundings, but Mr. Heston is simply a rough cop chasing standard bad guys. Their 21st century New York occasionally is frightening, but rarely convincingly real. Um, I mean, I think that that's the point of the Heston character, though, is that he doesn't have nuance because he's never lived in a world where nuance is possible. Right. They they talk about that a number of times where um Saul, the uh Robinson character, like talks about something that existed when he was young and Heston's like, Yeah, like I I've never had that or you know, I've never lived in a world where that's possible and I mean he's like fascinated by a spoonful of strawberry jelly, you know what I mean? So which is hundred and fifty dollars a spoon or a right. jar or whatever, so so I think that that's the point is that this is a guy that like is basically forced to care about the world through circumstance where he's never really had to care about it before. I think well, French, I you think French connection inspired this in anyone like a little bit, maybe, maybe in the Heston character. Right. I'm just wondering, cause I'm trying to think I, at first I was thinking um, like something like maybe like death wish or something like that, but that's actually the year after this. But French connections before, and I think that um, I think Popeye Doyle's more of a anti-hero than um, whatever his name is, Derek Thorne or whatever, the Charlton Heston character. Right. Um, obviously a much better character too, like just from a narrative perspective. But yeah, maybe inspired by that. Yeah. Like, hey, let's take this popular thing, which is the you know the police procedural and throw it on top of the science fiction formula. I don't know. I still think it's a good movie, though. I still yeah. No, I, yeah, it was enjoyable. It's just Heston. I, I just, I, I can't get behind that dude. Edward G. Robinson died 12 days after this movie with completed filming. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Huh. Mm. Okay, so number two on your list is Death Race 2000 from 1975. This is directed by Paul Bartel. Stars David Carradine, Simone Griffith, Sylvester Stallone, and Martin Cove. It has an 83% from critics and a 64% from audiences. Which, I honestly, that's one where it's like I thought it might be reversed, honestly. But um, um, Yeah, that's weird. Probably just because it's more of a horror movie than anything else. And that always happens with horror movies. Yeah. Alright, so tell us a little bit about this movie. Um... It's another dystopian future movie. Um, the world has basically fallen apart, and America has sort of taken over everything, um, except for France, apparently, because we're at war with the French. Um, the president is kind of a dictator for life, and one of the things that he has um, to his name is this uh, transcontinental road race that's an annual event. Um, where the top five racers from like races that happen throughout the year compete in the coast to coast race, um, you know, to see who like the best racer is. Uh, it's not only about like being the first to get to the West coast. It's also about being the person to score the most points and points are scored by running people over basically, or like murdering people like on the road um, with various like age groups and genders being worth different amounts of points. Um, the reigning champion is this guy Frankenstein, who um, 
is mythologized as this unkillable like driving machine um, who supposedly has survived like crash after crash and just had his body parts replaced. Um, there's other racers with him. There's uh, Nero, who's like a Roman-themed racer. Um, Joe Viterbo, who's like a, a Italian mobster-themed racer. Um, what is it? It's a, there's the Matilda the Hun, who's a Nazi. And, and there's Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane, right, who's like a cowboy-esque. And each of them has a navigator that goes with them. Um, that's basically like their sex partner and like tells them like where to take turns and stuff. Um, so Frankenstein's navigator is this brand new navigator and it turns out that she's the great granddaughter of Thomasina Payne, who's like the great granddaughter of Thomas Payne, who are the leader of the resistance that want to try and bring the president's regime down um, and want to start by trying to get the race canceled. Um, but you find out through the course of the movie that Frankenstein is also um, against the president and like has the intention of winning the race so he can kill the president. Um, and, you know, various things happen as they race across the country till the end when Frankenstein is able to kill the president and becomes president himself, which yeah, I don't know if that's how elections work in the future, but that's not <laughs> some concept. Um, and, and a, right yeah go ahead sorry there, there's also implications to like that too it's like i don't know what this movie is actually trying to say with that but okay <laughs> right um it's a lot of fun it's it's my yeah. favorite movie on this list mm-hmm. um even though i don't think it's the best movie i think it's the most fun um paul paul bartell didn't direct like a whole lot of movies but i liked the ones that he did um he also has a small part in this movie like in the very beginning um plays like a TV announcer or something. Or no, no, he plays when they're wheeling Frankenstein out. He's the doctor. He's the doctor, like, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really fun, like, tongue-in-cheek, you know, like, completely unrealistic take on, like, what the future could be. Um. I don't even know, like, what would inspire it. Like, the idea of, like, I don't know, maybe it isn't that unrealistic, but, like, the president becoming a god and us being at war with, like, the rest of the world, but we've colonized, what, like, China and somewhere else. There's He talks about, like, the Winter Palace, and then he's at, like, the Dragon Palace. And Well, there's, yeah, um, there's some elements like that that seem, like, almost, like, very Orwellian in some ways, like, um, this idea that we're always at war somewhere, and that the president like has all these, yeah, is there's, it's, it's very strange in that regard, but yeah, that, that reminds me of Orwellian concepts. A lot, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's a fun movie. Yeah. It's got, um, some pretty cool, um, cars, which is one of my favorite things. And like, another thing I like a lot about like sci-fi from that era, which is, um, like the practical effects of like changing the cars and like, you know, the Nero's looks like, like a lion's face and, Calamity Jane's is like a bull, and um, Machine Gun Joe Turbo has like Tommy guns like coming out of his headlights. Like they're they're just cool. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty decent performance from David Carradine. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a few other movies of his from around this time. So let me tell you that he was actually trying in this movie because he puts in some awful performances like around the same time. Um, kind of a like some some the interesting like plot where you find out that he's 
you know, really like working to take down the government too. And, yeah. you know, in the, um, his navigator falling in love. Um, it's just a fun movie. Yeah. No, I, this is probably the, I can't remember how many times I've seen it now. Four, four, five. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, I enjoy this movie every single time I watch it. And I'm always surprised by how much I enjoy it. Like as I'm watching it, like it's, it's like, I always like after a couple years or three years, it's like, it feels like I don't, um, like I forget how much I, I, I just enjoy it. And, uh, watching it this time i was struck by like the, all the kayfabe elements of so much um first of all like almost like the professional wrestling influence of gimmicks for all these drivers um because that's all they are is they're just these gimmicks it's like you know uh stallone isn't a mobster you know it's just a like this gimmick that he has right. to make his character seem a certain way um he's just a petulant like woman asshole yes yeah i really i still own this movie as, as, a, as a as a heel like you know i mean i i think he's um way over the top you know and i i really like it um but uh but then there's like the elements of kayfabe with the government as well and i i find all that stuff like very interesting is like there's all these like different layers to like what's real and what's not and then yeah when you have frankenstein you slowly start to like realize like oh he's um you know he's actually like first of all not ma- like having body parts replaced and then like oh he's actually you know and it's like i i think that there's like these layers of mystery to it um and kind of like uh who's on whose side and what's really going on that i think is really intriguing plus like you said yeah it's just like fun like you know like all these ridiculous deaths you know that are happening and all that kind of stuff um yeah i mean it, it it's goofy at times and stuff like that but yeah it's it's a good ride um overall so this is um this is actually produced by gorman so I guess you can mm. see like right. exactly like what like a Roger Corman production if you've never seen one. Um, interestingly enough, Corman produced a sequel to this a few years ago, um, which is surprisingly decent and like worth watching. Isn't I never saw it. Yeah, I mean it's um it's not as good a movie, but it's just as tongue in cheek and mm. you know it has that nice like B movie feel from like you know sixties and seventies like Corman um, produced like horror movies. Um, I've never watched the Paul W.S. Anderson um, reboots of this. So I don't know if you know that in like mid-2000s, like maybe 2006 or so, um, you know Paul W.S. Anderson, right? Yeah, Alien vs. Predator. Alien vs. Predator, uh, right. Fucking Trash Master General. Right, sure. Um, He produced a remake of this just called Death Race. Right. Um, it's got like Tyrese and Ian McShane and Jason Statham's in it, I think. Yeah, yeah, Statham's is like the star, um, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm I don't know. I mean, out, they, but... they they never were appealing to me, so I've never watched them. But I mean, maybe someday I'll like check them out and see what I think. Right. Um, but yeah, like I think Death Race 2000 is a a great movie and a lot of fun and you know it shows the spirit and the talent of like the people that Corman could assemble around them um so yeah I want to do a Corman episode sometime I just haven't figured out how we can do it yet hmm. um maybe like top five movies directed by 
people Roger Corman discovered or something like that. Because, you know, he's like Coppola and um, uh, Scorsese and De Niro and um, Jack Nicholson, like all these people that Corman like found and sure. gave, gave their start to. Brian De Palma. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a lot of people that came through like Roger Corman's like um, AIP film company. So mm-hmm. really important guy. One of my favorite um, personalities and creative forces like ever in Hollywood. Like I love Roger Corman. Yeah, I'll make a note of that. Um for the future so ebert when this came out gave it zero stars and the whole review is just him railing against the violence and all the children that were in the theater like watching it um and that's pretty much all he all he does is just talk about that aspect of it the entire review although a couple um uh, a couple decades later at least maybe even like 30 years later um he seems to like uh lessen the stance he doesn't like say that the review was wrong and he doesn't not give it zero stars but by this point he says it wasn't as awful as he thought it was earlier and he thought quote it was in the great tradition of summer drive-in movies um and uh so that, that that's pretty indicative of the time period of people railing against all the violence in this uh, the only thing I'll mention additionally is the New York Times reviewer says that um, kind of hinting about a little bit like what you were saying about the ending and stuff and uh, early on. He says it reveals itself to have nothing to say beyond the superficial about government and rebellion. Um, and in the absence of such a statement, uh, it just becomes a spectacle. Right. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if it has to be anything more than the spectacle necessarily. Um, I mean, Corman's not. Corman was never shy about letting people make political statements, right? Um, so I don't think there's anything. It's not like he wouldn't be afraid of whatever you know, like, like making a statement if if Bartel had wanted to make one. Sure, I, um, I, just I think Bart Bartel is pretty like anti-authoritarian and anti-establishment just in general. Mm-hmm. So that might have been Bartel's statement was basically just like "fuck all government." you know, like, we'll let <laughs> David Carradine run everything, so I don't know. Right, yeah, I, I do I do find it just a weird ending, uh, that, that entire ending, and that that he becomes, that, that the idea that you're going to overthrow this totalitarian government, and he becomes president, and it ends with him killing the guy that's, like, part of the media, or whatever. Um, well, yeah, the, the one guy that won't, like, kowtow to now his Right decision to because then to the Thomasina Payne, the grandmother character, even says like, "If you can't be happy with happiness, then you know we'll come, we'll come see you." Basically, right? Like if you're not happy with the way that we're governed, and we're going to kill you anyway, too. So right, which you I mean, be happy with what we've changed. Right. I don't know if that's supposed to be the statement. Is that the idea of you know you have one regime and then it's like the next regime takes over and they can be just as bloody yeah i mean again Uh, i I think like knowing like bartell a little bit just from like reading about him and like seeing some of his movies i think that's i think that's pretty much what he's trying to say yeah i mean it's the history of the world it seems so um i mean i don't think there's untruth in the ending of it but um i I, I don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily clear though what he's trying to do that's it like you know um which again it doesn't have to be so 
I wish he would have. Um, what else has he done? So eating Raul. All uh, oh, right. Yep. Um. Fuck, we watched something with him that he directed. Um, there's scenes from a class struggle in Beverly Hills, um, which is a pretty decent movie, and he wrote and directed that. Trying to look up what else. His filmography is not very good on Wikipedia because it doesn't. If he directed something, it just lumps it all in together. Gotcha. Shelf Life, which I haven't seen. You know him probably more as like an actor and stuff because he's been in a lot of stuff that you've seen. Uh, he was in Gremlins 2, Caddyshack 2. Um, oh, yeah, I know this guy. Yeah. Chopping Mall. Yep. Uh, European Vacation, Lust in the Dust. Oh, he directed Lust in the Dust. One of my grandmother's favorite movies, hmm. uh, oddly enough. Do you know Lust in the Dust? No. Um, it had Cab Hunter and Divine, Cesar Romero. Okay. Um, it's like a it's a Western comedy, but it's like pretty um I don't know. Hmm. What's the word? Uh, audacious, I guess, for the time or risque maybe. Hmm. But my grandmother was in love with that movie. Just a fun 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 Pelican pet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know most of his movies. Eating Raul is the only one that I've heard of. Yeah, only other things that he directed that I'm familiar with. Private Parts. That, no, that's the Stern movie I'm thinking of. No, this is you. You've never seen that Private Parts. Yeah, okay. you've never seen those Private Parts. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see those Private Parts. It depends. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's worth seeing. It's free on Tubi, although I would not recommend watching that version. Okay, let's get into this just for a brief second. Like, all, all it did, all it did was just blur out breasts. That's all it did. Right. So why? What's what's the point? I, I agree with your premise that you don't need to. It's stupid. But I'm just saying it's like, if, it affects, if that's the only it, thing. It doesn't affect the movie at all in right. terms of, like, the plot or anything. I still feel like it feels different to me, but I don't. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I might just be, I might have just been so angry that like I was looking for shit. Right. Um. I just like, like Tubi doesn't censor their movies. Like they don't censor nudity generally. They definitely don't censor any of the blood in this movie. Like it's still as violent as it ever is. So it just it's really annoying to me that like you should be able to watch a movie in the way that the director intended you to watch the movie. But you can see all these people die, and but. The, the breasts right, like, blur. What, what's the point? It's, it's just, it's just annoying. I, yeah, I, I, I've that, seen, that I get. I've seen Death Race two thousand enough times where like it doesn't matter, but right. if it's the first time you're seeing the movie, like you should be able to see that movie in the way that it was filmed and intended. Anybody wants to borrow my Blu-ray? I have it on. <laughs> Which I don't know why I watched it on Tubi. I just was too lazy to get up and put the Blu-ray in, and it was right there. So, right. A, I, mean, I mean, in 2020, it does feel like a lot to get up and put something into the PlayStation, you know? Right, especially when it's like two clicks and I'm like right there. Right, right. Yeah. I did have to, I did watch Westworld on DVD. Hmm. You know what was weird about watching Westworld on DVD was that I had to turn my volume up to like 34 for yeah. reasonable volume. Like it was so quiet. Yep. And I don't know if that's like the way the PS4 plays DVDs or whatever. But um, I've noticed that before with, like, media, like, on the PS4. 
super quiet. Yeah, when you when you gave me that Antonioni movie, um, and I, I ended up watching it on DVD, I I had to turn it up really loud. I remember. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, Didn't it's really weird. Need to listen to that movie though. Didn't really need to watch that movie, but yeah. Um, yeah, you watch it again. <laughs> I can. It's still here. Um, pre-COVID. I never movie. took it. Pre-COVID movie. Yeah, it's still here. I think. Yeah. Uh, that was like one of the last pre-COVID, like what? podcasts. I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was. I think I want to say that the last pre-COVID podcast was the movies that Chris loves and Frank hates. I think that might have been the last one. Really? Pretty sure. It's interesting. That was a good list. Uh, oh, no, I don't. I don't have to pull it up anymore. Never mind. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's the last one. All right. So number one on your next top five sci-fi films in the nineteen seventies is nineteen seventy one's THX eleven thirty eight. Yep. It is directed by George Lucas. It stars Robert Duvall, Donald Pleasance, and Maggie McOmey. Has an eighty six percent from audi- uh, Sorry, critics and the seventy four from audiences. And tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much. I want to point out first that it's funny to me that you called it 1138. Because for my entire life, I've always called it THX1138. And when I was watching it this time, I really tried to pay attention to all the different ways that people say. So THX1138 is the name of the Duval character. Right. The main character in the movie. Um, The film is a, it's another dystopian future movie where, um, People are kind of like, it's sort of, I guess, a take on Brave New World more than anything, where um, people are kind of um, controlled and sedated through, like, extensive amounts of medication. Um, Sex is outlawed. Uh, People are just kind of put together based on, like, what they do or who the government feels that people will be the most compatible with. Um, And they all have, like, these jobs they do. Kind of a combination to me of like Brave New World and Alphaville, sort of, mm. in the way that it's presented, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, conceptually, like, I think that's like maybe what inspired Lucas. Um, THX 1138-1138, um, Fix, as his wife calls him, um, lives with uh, La, L-U-H. Um, they, he doesn't take his medicine and like regains like his sex drive and they have sex and she becomes pregnant um there's this weird thing with um uh what's his name donald pleasant's like grooming thx um san right that's his character's name san um yes lug is taken away from uh thx and they eventually get back together but then she's taken away again um and killed and the fetus is removed and like basically made to replace her um he escapes um out of the city like on these on this crazy like modified ferrari um and eventually like climbs to the surface where um you see that the sun still exists and like there's still a world outside even though they uh, they're told repeatedly that there's like nothing like outside of this underground city that they live in uh, it's a pretty, it's it's a visually like the most stunning movie on the entire list um, by like a, a wide margin. Um, you can see a lot of, I think, influence from Kubrick in the way that Lucas directs this movie, um, especially in the way that he does 
establishing shots and long shots and how he holds the camera on things. Um, a lot of minimalist space in it. Um, a very a pretty long segment of the movie takes place in a room that's nothing but just white. <clears throat> um, and it really like has a very antiseptic, um, I don't know, like mechanical feel to everything, which is pretty cool um, and really well realized. Um, maybe not the, like the deepest narrative. Like I kind of wish there was that it was maybe a little longer, honestly. And like had a little more explanation to like the world or like a little more explanation to like what it was happening to these people or like what caused it to happen. But it still is is really well done. And yeah, my wife think- watched it for the first time ever with me because she had never seen it. And um her comment, which I thought was apt, is kind of what you're saying. But he she she said she wished she it would either have been shorter or longer, one of one of the two. Um and yeah, I can see that because you either want more like kind of explanation behind things or something like that, or like a little bit more story um, elements to like pay off or just cut out like the long prison sequence, right. you know, I mean, cut that down the, by 10 minutes. The movie's only like 97 minutes, right? Or something it's not like even, that. It's like 80, 85 minutes or something. Yeah. It's pretty short. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I would want the movie to be any shorter. I definitely wish the movie was, like, 20 minutes longer and had, like, more development, especially in terms of, like, everything about just, like, the way the world is and, like, what caused the world to be that way. And I guess there's some, like, it's cool to have that mystique, but I think that it's a good enough premise that it would have been better served to have, like, the longer... um, you know, descriptions of things and like a longer buildup. Um, so did you watch the director's cut of it? Yes. So you saw the, um, his like late added like digital effects, right? Like with the monkey creatures and shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's not what it looked like originally, like the right. version that I saw in like 1993. Yeah. Ish, which is when I saw this movie for the first time. Um, was not like that. Like they were just men in costumes, basically. Yep. Um, I think it's much worse with the digital effects. Mm-hmm. Like that's my only real criticism of the movie is it looks really hokey. Like I almost wish that he would just go back now and redo it again, and use like modern special effects and actually make that look like better. Especially because all the practical effects in the movie are really, really good. Yes. Like the. The scenes where he's manipulating the um, robot arms to like build the android police mm-hmm. is fantastic. Like the a brilliant like practical effects and the cars that they drive on the motorcycles, like the robot police themselves, the look of everything, like filming it, you know, like basically these like under construction areas in um, California. You know, I I looked up like. Because I was really impressed with the production design, and they basically just he like found these places that had this weird like futuristic like vibe to them, and would just film there. Um, so it's just kind of disconcerting to see that, you know. And it's only what like a minute and a half of the movie, basically. But like you're at the very end, and it's just like, all right, come on, like you didn't need to do this. But other than that, like I think it's a pretty fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with 
Lucas being so young and uh, the restraint that he has in terms of the cinematography of it, like, um, right. is that you, I mean, cause you see it like, you know, some later, I mean, he, he, he's a guy who likes the film, I think still anyway, but I think especially considering the concept of the movie and the subject matter, I think holding that camera and not moving it um, and, ju- and just letting it be still and letting the actors do the movement. Like think about how much energy by keeping it still in that white space of the prison and letting people just sit there except for Pleasance, like moving around. So when people right. move, it matters because everything's so goddamn still in that movie that movement matters at that point. And I think that like means I think that's really um, interesting from such a young director. So let me say this, and I'm not like a knowledgeable on like the theater of like the 1960s by any means, but number one, like I really think he was inspired by Godard and um, Kubrick a lot, mm-hmm. like a combination of both um, uh, fucking uh, 2001 and Alphaville. I think mm-hmm. just in the way that like he filmed that movie. <clears throat> but I wonder if like he also was inspired by like minimalist theater, like that shit of um I don't know, like you know more about this stuff than I do, but that's like what it feels like to me. Is like the almost like a uh theater like, of waiting for Godot or something. Right, you know? yeah, like, yeah. Uh-huh. Um that's the only reference I can make because I know so little about like theater. Um but that's kind of what it feels like is that here's this guy that's like a semi-recent grad from um, art school, you know, film school. Um, Coppola was the one that helped him finance it. So, you know, he was like a auteur and like an experimental director at the time too. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, mean, I, I can see like, that. Yeah. For like a debut feature, it's definitely probably much more mature than it has any right to be. Yeah. Um, and interesting that, like, he would go on to make, um, so he makes American Graffiti after this, right? right. That's his first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Star Wars. Yeah. Is that the right order? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so two, like, really Yeah, American Graffiti wildly, in 74 and then Star Wars in 77. Yeah. yeah, two wildly different films, but both, like, very mature and very... Um, like, well past, you know, what was it, 26, I think, when he made THX, right? Sure. Um, So, yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, it's a classic of, you know, 70s cinema, I think. It's one of the better sci-fi movies from the 70s, and it's it's a really important movie, too, I think, um, just in terms of, like, the production design. And you can also see a lot of, like, where he pulled that inspiration from for Star Wars as well. Sure. Um, Just in terms of, like, the look of rooms and equipment and oh well there's things that in the equipment in the in the um like comm rooms and stuff like that that look like the the death star yes exactly and, and there's and even he, and there's even some sounds that are exactly the same that he just reuses for star yeah. wars i noticed oh uh, yeah there was one like very specific where i was like oh my god that's like 100 percent a star wars sound yep so well, the one thing that I thought was interesting, and they they show technology in this movie, but it's mostly showing like TV screens, like watching other people. I think it's sort of oddly prescient that he doesn't 
first I guess it has the ticker tape thing. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't date itself because it doesn't try and be like our future. It's just like a future. Right. Kind of thing where you're not like seeing stuff where you're like, oh, okay, well, like obviously that's not how things turned out or this is unbelievable. Like it's um it's still, you know, interesting to watch and has like an air of believability to it, I think. Sure. Like an air of um I don't know. I can't think exactly what I'm trying to well, say. Well, it still feels like it could be the future. Plausible, maybe? Yeah. I mean, unless you really want to nitpick about the buttons or the lights of what we know things look like now, and they would never go backwards. Like, other than that, it still feels like it could be the possible future. Yeah. But a really great movie. Um, yeah. Pleasance and uh, um, Duval are really good in it. Yeah. That woman, I guess, apparently never like made any other films, really. Yeah. Um the one that plays Love. Mm-hmm. Um, which is crazy. Yeah. Um but she's does a really good job too. She reminds me of a young Sigourney Weaver actually in it. Hmm. I can see that. Like her delivery and her faces that she makes. So one of the main criticisms of this um comes from Stephen Confer from Time magazine again. Uh, he actually reviewed Andromeda Strain and THX together, which is interesting. Um, and he says in in terms of this movie, he actually has a problem with the tone of it, where he says that, well, first of all, he says that we've been here before um, in terms of George Orwell and Aldous Huxley, um, who use their views of the future to warn the present. But he says that Lucas um, offers us a 25th century as an arch campy place um, and it's a conception that is not satiric enough to be accepted as a comedy and not quite insightful enough to be taken seriously. Um, so that's a that's something we haven't really talked about at all when you talk about this, is the idea of tone is... I think there are undercurrents of dark comedy in this, certainly. Um, and... You know, it's it's and I think this guy's right in the sense that the only two ways you can kind of do that that kind of society is either through being serious and trying to make a statement, or through comedy, um, and and taking a look at those things. I mean, not that there can't be a gradation, but th- those you end up having to make a choice. Um, and he's saying that basically it doesn't do either um, of those things well enough to um, at all. I mean, I don't know. And otherwise, I think what he's saying is he's thinking. He's saying. I think what he's trying to hint at is the idea that Orwell and Huxley did it better. Um, so I don't. I don't disagree with that premise. I just don't care as much. I guess as like that dude cares, right? About that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I get it, and it's probably true. But um, I mean, I don't think that Lucas goes far enough. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be, like I said, like I think it needs to be about 20, 25 minutes longer. Right. And I think it could have a darker tone and be like a much better movie. But yeah, I, I think I think like that's a, what, what you want to do in that 20 minutes is I do think you want to do a little bit more horror. And it doesn't, and I don't mean like horror in the sense of, you know, like traditional horror, but like the horror of um, authoritarianism. Right. Yeah, I mean that. Like again, like I think it should have fleshed out the world a little more. Yeah. Like you see the video, you know, and he like gets masturbated basically by a 
robot arm right to a video of a cop like beating a mm-hmm. defenseless person and it's like play that you know like play up on that like what where does that come from like what are these pills doing to these people that make them react in that way to something like that like why does he think that that's stimulating to him to see you know what i mean right yeah what makes her different that she's able to kind of see through it and sort of guide him to a better place like all of those things are yeah. like and, and i would and I, and I would flesh out donald pleasance's character too of like, oh right ex, you like, know, what's exa- up with him right exactly what is he trying to what does he realize and what is he trying necessarily to accomplish and is he yeah. just driven crazy you know i mean i i don't know did his former roommate get killed or did he kill him right in an sure. effort to you know like kind of steal thx that's right. one thing i really so i i, me- I mentioned it at the beginning because you called it eleven thirty-eight, and i always think of it as 1138 mm-hmm. they say it both ways in this movie mm-hmm. like some people say 1138 and some people say eleven thirty-eight. right and his wife calls him fix which is like, I guess, a way of like humanizing this serial number. Sure. In order to make him like a person to her, so it's not just like her, her roommate, basically, as like Pleasance calls him. Right. Um. It's so it's funny that uh, what's his name, um, Melner or Milner, whatever from uh, uh, American Graffiti. That's his license plate. Yes. In that right. movie, is mm-hmm. THX one one three eight. Right and. But didn't he do this as a student film first? Well, there's he has a sh- like a 15 minute short that's got a really long title and I can't remember right now what it's mm. called. I think the Criterion has it on it, but I don't know. Yes, it did. I never bought the Criterion of this. So. It, 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 I I don't know why I remember this, but yes, I remember that the I'm positive the Criterion included that on it. Um, but yeah, uh, like. It shows definitely a lot of vision, and it's actually a little depressing that, you know, this is a guy that would go on to create the Phantom Menace at some point, because <laughs> you look at him as being, like, you know, this young kid with, like, all this, like, you can see his inspirations, and, like, you can see, like, what's driving him, and it's all, like, this great work, and he's got this really good, keen eye for not only, like, the artistry of a shot, but also filming like action, you know, and making it interesting and just really like a fantastic, like aesthetic appreciation for architecture and technology and how to film things to make it look like alien and weird, even though it's like just normal, you know, cause they didn't really build sets or anything. They just filmed in places. So, right. And then for like whatever, 40 years later, 30 years later, like you turn out some trash like that. It's just I don't know, like, what happened to you? But, well, I guess at one, at one point, one the richest men in Hollywood that doesn't. At one point, Charlton Heston um, supported civil rights and voted for John Kennedy, and then he ended up being the president of the NRA and um, supported Reagan. So, I mean, think people change, I guess, over the course of uh, 30, 40 years. He just convinced himself that he was Moses. <laughs> right, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Fucking that's, crazy Charlton has to walk around. I I am Judah Ben Hur. Right, that was after the Alzheimer's kicked in. Yeah. Hey. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a shame about Lucas. And oh, hey, maybe we'll get some more Lucas Star Wars now. God, I want to see. So we'll just talk about this for like ten seconds. But 
Um, the rumor is that there is a Lucas cut to the Rise of Skywalker or whatever um, that supposedly is fantastic that only like a select number of people have seen. So I'm hoping that we get the um, uh, who directed that Justice League movie? That piece of shit? Zack Snyder? That, I, I hope we get the Zack Snyder cut specialty for um, this Lucas cut of uh, Rise of the Skywalker so I can watch it someday. Right. Really, that shit. Yeah, I, we'll see. I, I think people are freaking out over it because um, it's not Rise of the Skywalker. I mean, it is with like twenty five like different minutes in it. I guess. Right. Look, yeah. I, anytime that you have the ability to see like, they're terrible movies, but those Exorcist the beginning shits, like both of those movies are awful, but it was still fascinating to watch them both. The, right. um, sure. Fuck, I can't remember who did those. It was, uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, one is, oh, my God. Frankenheimer, maybe, or no? I'm gonna look this up. It's gonna bother me if I, oh, my God, I can't spell. It's sitting in the seat makes me, um, drunk again from last night. <laughs> Rennie Harlan. Yes, Rennie Harlan. That's who I was trying to think of. Directed it. And taken over from Paul Schrader. Right, Paul Schrader, yeah. So Paul Schrader had already filmed a movie called Dominion, which was a prequel to The Exorcist. And then Rennie Harlan came in and like took some of that footage and filmed an entirely different footage. And then they called it The Beginning, right? Exorcist The Beginning, yeah. And they're they're both fucking god-awful. Right. Um, the beginning, the beginning was the one that was released in the theater, correct? The, That's the, the one that we that went and saw. We saw, movie. right? Okay, yeah. Right. And then, like a year later, I bought the um, um, the Paul Schrader version uh, on DVD, and was really disappointed. I think I saw that on DVD somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, right. so this was an enjoyable list. Like, I really. Um, yeah, I enjoyed watching all of them. I really did watch in 70s sci-fi. I, I wish that I wish I didn't find those 70s Doctor Who episodes as boring as I do because like like aesthetically they're just as interesting to me. Like I like the look of that stuff, especially the Baker shit, which I guess is like mid 70s, but man do I find those episodes really boring. That's so weird too because everything that you talked about at the beginning of this to me is what that Baker stuff has. And what's interesting about that is like I think it's just the Britishness of it. Does that make sense? Like, it just gets on my nerves. And it's just too, like, stiff upper lip. Like, hip-hip cheerio or whatever shit. It gets on my nerves in the tenant stuff, too, at times. Like, where I just feel like it's just way too British. Yeah. And Frankie always argues, like, well, Dad, they are in Britain. Like, this is a British show. But it's like, man, like, it's like the smallest country in the world. Like, ain't no fucking aliens going to Britain, you know? Like, Fuck out. <laughs> um, have you watched the Partouille? Any of the Partouille stuff? I that's some of that's in I think color, if I remember correctly. But some of it's in black and white. Um, still, one is he? He's the one before Baker. No, uh, uh-uh. I I really I, actually I I like Baker better. I I like Partouille as a doctor, but I like Baker better as a doctor. But I actually think 
of what I've seen of the Park Twee stuff, the episodes I like better. So when I was a kid, Doctor Who used to come on PBS at PBS. some time. When Saturday, like Saturday, Saturday nights. Like, like 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or something? Later than that, I think, yeah. Maybe. So I used to watch, like, Doctor Who with no relevant knowledge to what I was watching. And honestly, I think, like, completely out of order. Or maybe it was so Sunday night. It might have been Sunday nights, actually. I can't remember. It was There was nothing that my parents watched that was on at that time, and I was allowed to stay up and watch it. So whatever time it was on. Yeah. But um, I want to say it might have been, like, 10 o'clock on Sundays. I can't remember. Wesley used to we would work together maybe it was saturday then and wesley would go home like when we got off and would always watch doctor who would be on for like two episodes or three episodes or something like that yeah i don't know sometimes i think i should give it a chance because it's it's free somewhere like there's old episodes but um Mm -hmm. i just can't bring myself to do it i don't know i don't know how we like digress to this but (laughs) well i mean i do know because i made i brought it up um, but yeah, like I really love like the look and the tone of most '70s sci-fi. And again, there's at least like five other movies, so maybe next year we'll do a next next five. Right. Okay. So Plus, I feel uh, like there's a lot of hidden gems. Like there's stuff that I haven't seen when I look at lists. Like um, like by year of like movies that came out, I'll be like, man, I've never heard of that movie. So hmm. I don't know. All right, anyway. so next week um, we are going to be doing the top five high society uh, movies. Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff on there. And um, then uh, we'll it might be the best list in terms of like quality of movies that we've ever done. That's possible, yeah. Or as close to it if it's not the best. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you, like, discount, like, the kind of year-end stuff that we've done, like, 79, 69, you know, like, yeah. those kind of things, like, yeah, I think that's, um, it's... The best theme list. Yeah. And There's then, literally, like, even though I have nostalgia for some of these movies, none of these movies are nostalgia picks. Right. Like, they're all just, like, really solid, like, quality classic movies. Uh, so, I mean, this is assuming, like, my house doesn't get destroyed if we get this rain. Um, we'll be doing that next week. But, um, even then, I can probably, uh, figure out some... destroyed, you'll be in a fucking hotel, you'll be fine. <laughs> right. Um, so, get FEMA money. Um... <clears throat> Come sleep on my couch. <laughs> so, and then we'll be taking a break, and then the last episode of August, we will be doing the top five... Oh, God, I... I... I named this and I can't remember the name of it. Post-apocalyptic hidden gems. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that I think what we did? All right. Yeah, that list is uh, that list is fucking awesome. Right. I good movies on that list too. Yeah. There's not to say there's ever shit movies, but sometimes like the quality is questionable. And well, very much well, well the, the theme thing. sometimes like, you know, determines what goes on the list, you know? And yeah. Uh, I mean, so I'd put Excalibur on every list if I could. <laughs> right. Where did you see that guy that was in Excalibur? Oh, it was a Doctor Who episode. Doctor Who. He's in a, right. yeah. um, uh, season four of the reboot stuff. One right. of the ten seasons. Yeah. Right. The Doctor's Daughter is the episode. Right. Right. I don't know if I ever watch those ever again. That's interesting. 
that that season we just finished that season today. That season is freaking phenomenal. Yeah, like are that you, Don and Noble stuff is just fucking yeah. perfect. Are you moving on to the other? Are you going to move on to the other stuff? Or yeah, yeah we're going to watch all of it. I want to watch the stuff that we haven't watched either, hmm. like the um the last Capaldi season and the Lady Doctor. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, any final thoughts tonight? No. Um, again, it was a fun list to watch. I, I enjoyed watching all five of these movies. Um, another list where like I really felt like I had to watch all five again because it's been so long. Uh, pretty much for every one of them. Like I think Death Race is the one I've seen the most recently, and that's probably been ten years since I've seen that movie. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, same here. I I really enjoyed watching every one of them, and looking forward to doing next week's list as well. Me too. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody, and have a great week. Have a good night.